You are listening to This World of Humans, a science podcast focusing on the interface of biology and social science. Coming to you from the podcast recording studio at John Jay College in New York City. For more information about today's topic, visit visionlearning.com slash TWOH. Hello and welcome to This World of Humans. My name is Nathan Lentz. Your producer is Sam Anderson. And today is a special episode of This World of Humans where we're going to talk about uh, something called PsychTable. Uh, and you can find this at psychtable.org. And I was curious to learn more about this project because it's not, it's not a website run by any one place or institution or person even. It's a collaborative effort in the field of psychology to gather evidence uh, both for and against various adapted features in the human mind. So what, what we mean by that is um, the field of evolutionary psychology is concerned with human behavior and how much it relates and, and was shaped by our deep evolutionary past. Um, and so each one of the little features of our mind was subjected to natural selection very much the same way that the features of our anatomy and our physiology were. Um, but the problem is psychology, unlike, say, biochemistry, a lot of these things are very controversial, and people can view the same evidence in very different ways. And so a lot of times it can be daunting, especially if you don't know anything about the field. Um, it can be daunting to try to make sense of the evidence because every search you do on Google or even Google Scholar will bring up all kinds of papers that point in different directions. So the idea was to um, create a structure, a, a way to um, find research on a specific trait and what the evidence is for and against in terms of its adaptiveness and, and these kinds of features. So because this podcast, uh, we really cater to the, the science education community as well as just the general public, I thought it was a good tool to sort of explore. Um, fortunately for us, we have the t uh, two people who are involved in, in both the foundation but also the running of this project uh, that are joining us. One of us is right here in the studio with him. Um, his name is Dr. Daniel Glass, and he is a clinical psychologist uh, recently graduated from Suffolk University. So, Dan, nice to, nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank and you for having us. Thanks a lot for joining us. And I also have the founder of the project, Nirabin Balachandran, who works from the World Bank. And he's joining us from Jakarta, Indonesia via Skype. So, uh, welcome to you, Nirabin. Thanks for having us. Now, for uh, those those at home who want to explore this, if you go to psychtable.org, uh, you'll see the working model of this taxonomy of this organization. And um, when you when you look at the individual things that they have, the little components of our minds that that they're uh, that we're attempting to gather evidence about, uh, they're referred to by psychtable.org as EPAs or Evolved Psychological Adaptations. So, uh, Dan, why don't you answer this for our listeners? What, what does that mean, an evolved psychological adaptations? What is that in the first place? Right, well, an evolved psychological adaptation would be a species-typical trait that is shaped by natural selection, that's been shaped by natural selection for some sort of um, genetic benefit, genetic fitness that it confers to the owner. So you can speak of EPAs for any given uh, species that has a psychology or has a mind, but uh, PsychTable is dedicated to looking at the, the human EPA. The human EPAs. And give me an example of, of a simple, uh, non-controversial human EPA, a human psychological adaptation. Sure. So we have an evolved psychological adaptation for color vision. Color vision. So we have uh, the, the receptors, the physiological receptors to perceive color. We've got a 
cognitive system that is able to make sense of the color. And so I would say that that one is fairly non-controversial. Another one that I would say would be fairly non-controversial is thirst. For example, uh, the idea that when our body needs hydration, we have a complicated suite of psychological and cognitive and behavioral traits that have us crave water, seek out water, and then hydrate ourselves. Right. In fact, that was the first thing I thought of when I thought of evolved psychological adaptations. I actually thought of hunger. So it's this feeling you get that drives you to do a behavior, and Precisely. that is eat or drink. And, and you share that with your dog and, and with uh, basically all animals are driven to sort of satisfy their needs. So that's a simple, and, and is that included in, in psych tables, things like hunger and thirst? Yes, yes. Anything that's been proposed in the literature um, is a candidate for psych table. And the ones, the, the EPAs that are the most strongly supported by the evidence will um, show up, uh, sort of be highlighted on this sort of taxonomy that, that the psych table process produces. Okay. So an EPA is just a feature of your mind. Um, you could think of it as an emotion, but I think that might be a too limited way of thinking about exactly, it. Exactly, right, right. Right. So color vision, for example, you wouldn't call it an emotion, right. but there are emotions that, that one could propose are, in fact, EPAs. Right. And, and, right, okay. And so uh, if you think of like protective instinct that a parent has for a child, not quite an emotion, but certainly emotions are evolved. Would, would that fit in your table somewhere? Yes, Um now, it's a separate issue as to whether or not any given person believes that the evidence is there across the literature for that to, to actually be an EPA that we have. But it's certainly, if it's been proposed, um, it can be on psych table because one of the features of psych table, one of the core features, in fact, is a sort of evidence aggregation system and an evidence rating system that is for the scientific community and the, the, anybody who um, studies human behavior. Um, anthropologists, um, philosophers, even anybody who uh, who uses scientific literature to um, to study social behavior or psychology can use the site. Okay. And so the emotion you mentioned uh, could be proposed and uh, and is a candidate for um, for being on psych table, as well as let's say something like core disgust, the idea that we have this. Uh, behavioral suite that has an emotional component, a behavioral component, a cognitive component, where if we see some matter in the world that could potentially affect us, we think that's disgusting, we, we withdraw from it, we, we have a sense of avoidance and um, engage in behavioral avoidance, which evolved to keep us from uh, pathogens, right? To keep us safe from pathogens. Right. Um, and that can be on psych table. That, 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 that will be. And um, if somebody believes that the evidence shows that we don't actually have a, a specific evolved capacity to do that, but rather that's, let's say, the, um, the, the reason why we have that is because of a generalized um, sort of cognitive learning device in our brain, then they can, they can propose evidence to that effect. And uh, psych table will weigh that evidence using a, uh, an algorithm. Right. So it's not necessarily about, um, it's not like Wikipedia where anybody can come in and edit, um, although anyone could, could participate. It's about uh, gathering evidence. And then does the community also rank or weight the evidence? Right. Uh, Nirbin, you want to take that one? A long story short, I mean, there, there's two ways to sort of look at a, an EPA. One of them is through evidentiary depth, and the other one is evidentiary breadth. So 
evidentiary depth is what is the quality of the research studies of being marshaled as evidence for the existence of a given EPA. For example, if it has a fairly large sample size, and that's a you know a reasonably uh, good research study on, on that criterion. If it has fewer, then maybe not so much. On evidentiary breadth, then we're looking at a couple different lines of evidence which have been uh, tested as sort of good consensus uh, items in the field. Uh, for example, um, you can measure uh, a study or you can even measure an, an EPA on how good it is in terms of what, how many lines of evidence uh, among the eight. And the eight are things such as the medical evidence that's out there, the phylogenetic or cross-species evidence out there, uh, whether the EPA has evidence of it being, uh, of having evolved in hunter-gatherers, and also cross-cultural evidence as well. So the, the more uh, cross-cultural evidence there is, um, then that probably means that it does show up um, in more ethnicities and cultural groups, and therefore pointing to its ev evolutionary roots. So the algorithm that's been set up um, is, is automated, uh, but there is also a ranking system as well that any user uh, that's been sort of uh, uh, assigned uh, can go ahead and, and rank on the quality of the study or the quality of the APA as well. Again, it's on those two different criterion criteria, evidentiary breadth and evidentiary depth. And but who figures this out? Like who is the one who makes the determination about some of these things? I mean the who in, who inputs the information in the algorithm? So the the users and there are several levels of users who can be involved in site table. Um, there's the the general public can certainly uh, be involved by making comments, making suggestions, uh, sort of a, an open forum. The people who are, are rating the evidence are going to be people who have uh, some sort of experience in, in behavioral research or in the social sciences who will submit their credentials to the psych table team and they'll be individually approved uh, for what we call curator level to, access. To be a curator, exactly. okay. Right. Okay, so those are sort of your top-level uh, editors on Wikipedia, if, if we're making that analogy. Right, right. We'll have several levels of access available. Uh, where the, the higher you are, the, uh, the more sort of control you have over what you can add, right. what you could rate, and so forth. Because at some, ultimately, someone's going to have to resolve disputes, even, potentially. Exactly, right. If and this not... stuff were all straightforward, we wouldn't need this. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And, and so, Nirbhan, let me ask you, I noticed, the, the first thing I noticed is that there's different classes for these EPAs. You have class one, two, three, and four. Um, what's the reasoning behind these classes and what do they mean? I guess you can say that there, there are many ways to slice and dice uh, groups and, and clusters of EPAs. But the, the simplest way that we've been able to uh, classify them is similar to the periodic table of elements. We have class one, which is EPAs, which have probably evolved by natural selection. Class two is by sexual selection. And then th class three is by kin selection. And then we have another class, which we just call sort of uncategorized or disputed. So, for example, if an EPA is sort of fuzzy and we don't know whether it overlaps classes or if it's one of those complicated EPAs or clusters of EPAs, which might be uh, nested or um, has other sort of complexities to it, then it will probably go into the uncategorized or disputed 
class. Uh, so that's how we do it. Uh, can you give me give, give me an example of a disputed or uncategorized EPA? Right. So, for example, one one typical one would be, uh, which is a very controversial topic uh, within the evolutionary behavioral sciences as well as just um, in in civil society, I guess, is the moral the moral sentiments. So, for example, to what extent is morality evolved? To what extent has it been learned through experience or through uh, sacred texts or whatever it might be? And we can break those out. If you look at uh, Brown's, uh, Brown's list of human universals, it names a couple of different moral sentiments. Now, there are uh, lots of disputes within the scientific community in terms of where that would land and whether uh, that should be sort of parsed or teased out into components which probably may have been uh, come about through experience or those which probably have evolved biologically simply because there are multiple lines of evidence, whether it's cross-cultural evidence or phylogenetic evidence, or for example, this EPA comes online uh, in early infancy, for example. So that's another line of evidence uh, for that as well. So, so those are sort of what we do, and that's one example of, a, of an uncategorized or disputed EPA. Okay. And I want to take a look at these classes just briefly so that uh, our listeners have a little introduction. So class one, two, and three is natural selection, sexual selection, and kin selection. And just so that we know, natural selection uh, in, this, in this use of the word uh, would be anything, um, would be subject to, to those forces which help you survive and thrive uh, and just be successful as an animal. Whereas sexual selection would be specifically features that give you an advantage in, in, in reproduction, uh, usually in finding and securing a mate, but also related to other, other things about reproduction per se, separate from overall health and vigor. Class three, which is kin selection, is a feature that might help those you are related to and that share a lot of genes with you, but not, might not necessarily help yourself. So parental uh, instincts could fall into this, although that could probably be sexual selection as well. But anytime you're helping your siblings or even cousins, um, sort of in that, that pro-social way with family, uh, is class three. Do I have that, that right, Dan? Right. Okay, so I guess part of the value of this would be to help um, you know, naive learners of psychology who are interested in, in exploring this stuff for the first time, help them make sense of these individual traits and what the evidence is for their evolution. But I guess high-level psychologists would also find this valuable to curate um, new research and, and, and growing consensus about different traits. Uh, Nirvan, is that what you, is that how you would describe this as sort of serving two audiences, both the newly initiated or, or curious and also experts? Would they, would both audiences really use this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, this is supposed to be a global platform. Um, you know, whether it's scientists or teachers or students or just the general public who might be curious about this, everyone can get an opportunity to debate and engage and find contrary evidence and display it on the site and uh, showcase what they've found as, as well at different curation levels, of course. Um, but there is multiple, there are multiple opportunities to allocate your, your time and your resources to, uh, to showcase your research and also uh, have a good conversation about the state of the field as well. And I ask all the students out there as well to use Psychtable to explore new research opportunities, meaning like which opportunities, which areas are open to further empirical inquiry. For example, if you find an EPA and there is a lot of evidence that's been 
uh, found to date in the cross-cultural uh, line of evidence. For example, it's been done in uh, 138 cultures, for example. And what, uh, EPA, not, what EPA would be studied in 138 cultures? Wow, I mean, there's so many of them, like uh, facial expressions and uh, anger and so on. But uh, the one I'm referring to is actually the Westermark effect. Uh, and that's an evolved genetic relatedness detector that partially depends on sibling co-residents and, and other variables as well. Okay. And for our listeners at home, what, what we mean by uh, genetic relatedness detector um, is our ability to know who's closely related to us and not be sexually attracted to them. <laughs> so this is called the incest avoidance um, trait. So we, we do have this where we know someone is very closely related to us. We won't really entertain um, sexual relationship with them. And, and there's data on this. This isn't just sort of common experience, although I think it's one of those areas where we finally have evidence to support what we always thought was true. But um, tell me about that EPA in terms of how it app, op, what, what's on there for psych and psych table for incest avoidance. Well, a researcher named Westermark uh, started to discover this uh, way back in the day. And to date, there's been uh, a metric ton of cross-cultural evidence. There's been studies done in Taiwan and Western Europe and so on and so forth. Um, I'm not so sure about the number of studies that have been done in hunter-gatherer societies, for example. And there is a lot of phylogenetic evidence, cross-species evidence, uh, in other uh, mammals, for example. But if there's other areas of inquiry across these sort of eight lines of evidence, theoretical, psychological, medical, genetic, physiological, and then the other three I just mentioned, then those are opportunities where students and budding researchers uh, can look at the the, ta the table, they can look at the evidence to date and make a decision about where did they want to allocate their time and the resources for research studies. Uh, so those are the ways that they can benefit. Then I notice, and I wanted to ask Dan about this, you create these scores. So there's a, a, a score associated with each, each line of evidence, but then also a, a total score for each EPA. Tell me what's going on with this score. Sure. So let's say you are a researcher who believes that there is no uh, EPA for incest avoidance per se. Let's say you believe that the reason why um, people avoid um, having sexual relations with their close relatives is because um, of cultural learning, and that is, the, um, that is the explanation that you favor. You can go to PsychTable. You can submit your own evidence to the incest avoidance uh, EPA. And you can um, you can suggest that this reference um, is uh, challenges the existence of that EPA. Okay. So, then I'm sorry. Go ahead. Then you can look at the other uh, uh, references that have been cited supporting that EPA. And and let's say that you are familiar with these references and you, and you and you've read this literature and, and then you, you find a few more and you read that and you decide that these are not actually that compelling in terms of how strongly they, they, um, they argue for the existence of that EPA per se. Then you and anybody else who is a, uh, a curator level on PsychTable can assign a rating to that particular reference um, to, to describe how strongly it supports or challenges the existence of that EPA from each of these different lines of evidence. So you go to this particular study and say, I, I don't believe that it does offer very good um, uh, physiological evidence for an incest 
avoidance, for example, uh, let's say this particular reference doesn't uh, tries to uh, speak to some sort of um, neurological structures involved in that and doesn't do a very good job of that. Well, then you could rate that very low. And let's say that you find uh, that there are the same uh, same article gives pretty good um, evidence from a hunter-gatherer perspective that this is not an evolved trait. Then you can um, you can rate the challenge score highly for that reference. Um, and when when you you have all of these numbers together, Psych Table the, um, has a little algorithm that it uses to collate these numbers and and spit back for each line of, of the eight lines of evidence how strongly the um, the EPA is supported, how strongly um, there how strong the genetic evidence is for it, how strong the medical evidence is for it, and so forth. And uh, it also uh, aggregates those scores to come up with a an overall score for in the literature overall how strongly uh, does the scientific um, literature support the existence of this evolved psychological adaptation and only the ones that are that have high scores that are highly supported would end up on the um, on the, the the graphical table that psych table generates and we can set the the score for what is the cutoff so this it attempts to capture consensus but it's only consensus of your users so it's um, it's it's only as good as as the community that uses it. This is the idea of psych table, though, the, to gather this evidence for and against. So I, I think it's a it's a tool with great potential, and I hope to see see it be used more. But I think um, as an educator myself, I think the value for students and and just the concept um, of collecting evidence for and against and categorizing it and giving it these various weights. It's a really interesting idea to me. It's almost like the next step in in um, you know we're talking about open access publishing and. Um, open peer review and, and public peer review and, and uh, comment sections on articles. Um, I think this is a step in that direction uh, and somewhat uh, the democratizing of science and the involvement of the community. Um, I think it has an enormous potential. So I wish you both the best of luck. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for joining us on the, on the podcast this week. I know you guys are both busy folks, so, so, th so thanks for joining us. It was great to have you. Well, it was an honor to be asked. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Nathan. All right, thank you. And uh, this has been another episode of This World of Humans. Have a great week. This has been another episode of This World of Humans, a podcast and science education initiative currently supported by Vision Learning and the PSC CUNY Research Award Program at the City University of New York. Science educators, don't forget to check out our website for a wealth of resources to help integrate this episode and its featured article into your science classroom. Find us at visionlearning.com slash T-W-O-H.